What a perfect song to start, uh, well, any sermon, actually. That's a good one for any sermon, but it's great for this one, too. Um, I just need a stand. It's coming. Okay. Um, so we're actually just going to open with prayer, but just you think about those, how great is our God, right? I love it when the music fades out and we get to hear all of our voices proclaiming that. That's so exciting. Um, and, I, and I usually don't get to hear that from out here, so it's really fun to to hear and sing with all of you guys uh, just how great God is. Let's pray. Jesus, we are, we're going to start this, uh, this message from the place that you are Lord and you are Savior and you are the only one who is worthy to receive glory and honor and praise. And so as a, as a body of Christ, as a congregation here gathered this morning, we just want to have that be the first thing we say and shout and sing out loud, you are worthy because now we want to open your word. With that as the foundation, we want to go, now how do we live? Because you have made us and created us for a purpose. Now what are we going to do? Because you are God and you are Lord of our life. I pray that you would speak to us now and that your Holy Spirit, who has been working all this week to prepare our hearts, I pray that we would now open ourselves up to what the Holy Spirit has to say to us. Jesus, and I just, um, I thank you for the work that you are doing and you're about to do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're finishing up this sermon series on uh, being a follower of Jesus Christ. So to be like Jesus is the big sermon series title, but hitting the mark. We want, we want, we're following Jesus. Those of us who are saved, who are Christians, are discipled. Those are all the same word. And so as we go through our life, we want to make sure that we are, we are aiming and, and putting our energy uh, behind the things that are going to matter, the things that, are gonna, that God is going to ask us about uh, when we see him in heaven. And so that's the goal and, I, and we've been talking about these different characteristics, and I think there's like, you can count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight. Not counting that top one. And these are the different characteristics we talked about, and we've normally listed them in line, but I wanted to like scatter them across the board because none of these come in order, right? The only one that really has to come first is the top one, and this isn't even a characteristic we talked about. This is just a statement of fact, and it is Jesus Christ is Lord, whether you want him to be or not, he is Lord. Whether you acknowledge him or not, he is Lord. And so all of these flow from then, if we surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord, then it's going to affect all these other things. We're going to be committed to God's word. We're going to love God and love others and obey him in the routines of life. We talked about that um, last week. And then we're going to be committed to prayer, talking to God and hearing God speak to us. We're going to be sharing the gospel. And then the last one we're going to talk about today is serving God by serving others with our time, talent, and treasure. Okay, so that's what we're talking about today. So it's just another characteristic of what it means to follow Jesus Christ, to be a disciple, to hit the mark in becoming more like Christ. So that's where we are, that's where we are today. And I, I want you to be, like lock that sentence at the top, Jesus Christ is Lord, because everything we do as Christians flows from that. He gets to say what we do. He gets to say what we do with it. He gives us everything. It's all his. He owns it. So that's what, that's what this is going to be about. So just make sure that right before we, even before we plow and you get the big idea, everything belongs to God. That's his lordship, including you. So, therefore, we serve him by serving others with our time, talent, and treasure. So let's just read a few verses before we talk about what, what does that mean? What is our role then with all of our life and our stuff? Listen to these verses. Psalm 89, 11. The heavens are yours, and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. Psalmist says it again, 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 
Deuteronomy 10, 14, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. So it's all his. And before we start this sermon, we need to squelch the idea that we're going to give anything to God that he doesn't already own. Like, if we talk about tithing or giving an offering or, or, or spending our, our time for God, we're not giving him something he doesn't already own. Listen to what he says in, in um, oh, this is Deuteronomy. Okay, so maybe those might need to be swapped. Might, this might be Deuteronomy 10, but it could also be Psalm 50. So you should never trust me just blatantly, right? You should always be in your word daily. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> you should know this one, actually. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen to what he says. <laughs> I guarantee you the words are scriptural, found in the Bible. Just maybe not Psalm 50. <laughs> I have no need of a bowl from your stall or of goats from your pens. Right? This was a sacrificial system. They were constantly bringing these sacrifices to God out of obedience. But he just wanted to remind them, by the way, you, you doing these things for me? I don't, I don't need them. I'm not short on bulls or goats. Why? For every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills is mine. And Larry Burkett used to say, and the hills belong to him too. Like the cattle and the hills, it all is his. So that's what we're starting with. If he owns it all, if it's all his, then what about all the stuff we have and we work hard for? Right? What about those possessions we've had that we've gained and worked for? What about the way we spend our day? And what about the things we, we invest our time in? How does that all come into uh, play if it's all his? Like These are the thoughts we need to wrestle with as we are trying to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, hitting the mark. So Dave Ramsey gives this uh, illustration that I want to use to really make the point of being a manager versus an owner. And um, I'm going to have two volunteers. Jake? This is not to scare you from sitting in the front seat, right? It's okay to be in the front, but I happen to know Jake, so Jake, can you come up, and it's really bright today. Brian, you want to come help me out? I promise I won't mess with you. Just come on up here. Very simple. You're just going to stand there. There's not even lines. You just get to stand there. Yes, it's very easy. Okay, so I'm going to have, uh, be over here. I'm going to have Brian. Brian is going to represent you and I, okay? So this is us, and we work hard for the things that we have in life, Right? Like, we work hard. If, if we were diligent about working and we're paying our taxes, or whatever, it would take a long time to save up $1,000. But Brian has done that, okay? And you might all think this is $1,000, but Brian can tell this is a whole bunch of ones because I work at the church. These aren't even my ones. I had to borrow these. <laughs> like, right before the service, I was like, oh, no, I don't have my illustration. So um, these belong to somebody else. So these six $1 bills are going to represent $1,000. Good job, though, for saving up that much, giving that to you. So he has that money, and he's going to go down to Jake, who is the manager of a bank. Okay, so go ahead, pass that. This is now your deposit in. Good. Watch him. This is my most expensive visual aid, so you can face forward. So now, what just happened right here? No, not that much. You're, getting, you're scaring him. I need him to be comfortable, because you did actually entrust him with that money, right? That's what's going on here. The minute, anytime we, we deposit money in the bank, we are, we are saying we trust them, right? It's a fiduciary trust. So something just happened right there. He, he chose to place trust in him. Now, Brian goes his way, and he decides that, or maybe his wife decides, that they need to get like a china cabinet to put their china in, which Brian doesn't understand because he's a guy, right? We don't understand why. We don't understand the china, much less a cabinet to put the china in. We don't get to eat off it or touch it. So... But he knows that he's a good husband. He just doesn't need to get it. He just needs to go and get it. So he goes down to the bank, and he uh, walks in. Sorry, this, you don't have to act this out. You can just stand there. I'm, I'm not helping you do a good job. I'm sorry. He goes down to the bank. No. <laughs> he opens the door. 
But he walks up and he, and he fills out a withdrawal slip and he goes to the teller and he says, I want that money that I gave you, right? Now, Jake, or the teller, goes, oh, you're that, Brian. You're that, Brian. Oh, shoot. And so he goes, yeah, the bank manager wants to talk to you. So Brian goes down, or goes into the uh, bank manager's office, sits down, and Jake's like, yeah, so my wife and I needed to go on vacation. And uh, so I had to get a bigger engine for my bass boat because the fish had been outrunning me. And uh, my sea dew needed a sister. And so I bought these things. Is it okay that I used your money? Right? <laughs> Ryan, of course, would be like, of course it's okay. <laughs> no, it would be a no. It is not okay. Right? Why? Because when he gave him that money, he entrusted him. There were, there were instructions, some, some boundaries, some rules that he had in his head that they had together when he deposited that money that, that governed the use of that money. It's not his money to do what he wants with, right? But we need to change some things, right? Because this doesn't really represent you and I, does it? Who is this? This is the place of God. God owns it all. And so this isn't really a bank manager anymore. This represents more you and I. And so God has entrusted us with things. And sometimes we think, okay, just money things. But he entrusted us with time, like time in this day that we're in right now, time on this planet. He entrusted us with talents, gifts, natural abilities that you were born with or that you developed over your life that he gave you the the ability to do. Spiritual gifts, if you follow Jesus Christ, you have spiritual gifts. And he also gave us money, finances, possessions, things in this world, right? And so in all of that, God has instructions, expectations for the way that he, we would use his things, right? It's not, it's not our decision to make anymore because he entrusted us with those things. Thank you so much. Can give them a round of applause. They did great standing there. <clears throat> so the, the difference is the, the, the frustration and like, ah, we would get if someone misused our money is because we're thinking like an owner, but we are merely the manager. The Bible, the old, the old King James, which is now an old King James, just the King James Version, used the word steward. And you'd have to go all the way back to that time period when that Bible was written to really understand what steward means. We don't use that anymore, but it really just does mean manager, that you would manage well the things that God has given you. The problem is, is that if, if we even a little bit hang on to our stuff, we shift from thinking of it as a manager to it's mine. I shift into the role of owner. And that's when all of our thinking about these things becomes skewed, right? So we've got to keep forcing ourselves back into managers. And in, in the instructions he gave us, like regarding finances, there's things in the Bible like it's a good thing for a man to, to take care of his family, right? It's a good thing for a man to leave an inheritance to his children's children, right? But at no point do his instructions say that you are no longer the manager, you're now the owner, right? You still, the, the Bible doesn't give any room for that. We're just managing and not just our finances, everything, our time, our talent, our treasure. Pastors love those because it's like T, T, T. It's easy to remember. So we're going to look at Matthew 25, which is a parable that Jesus told. And a parable is just a story, usually a short story that had a spiritual or moral lesson attached to it, right? So that's what a parable is. Jesus gave a lot of them. And in this parable, in chapter 25 of Matthew, this man, a wealthy man, went on a long trip and he gave different amounts of money to three of his closest servants. The word in the Bible is servant, but they were like close partners because he's entrusting a ton of money. So the first man, he gave five talents and a talent back there was, a, was just a sum of money. It represented about 20 years wages, right? That's minimum wage in some places, like $250,000 for a talent, right? But he gave this man five talents. So this is just like any random servant. 
He's giving him a ton of money. First guy he gives five talents to. The second servant he gives two talents. And the last servant he gives one talent, right? Which is still a lot of money. So we're going to see what they did. It is actually important. Like the word that we use, talent, talent means something different today, right? Back then it meant a sum of money. But now in English it means a gift, right? um, Sorry, an ability or a skill, right? So even... And when Jesus tells this story, that definition of talent still applies. Jesus is not making a very narrow, focused statement about money in our life and how do we handle money. He's, he's making a statement about our time, which you'll see in a minute, but also the talents that he's given you, the gifts and abilities he's given you, as well as the finances, the treasure, the, the, um, the money that he's specifically put under your charge. So let's read what these guys did with it because we're looking for timeless principles we can take out and apply to us. So we're going to start at verse 16, because that kicks in right with what the men did. So, he who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more talents. Verse 17, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money, and did absolutely nothing. So there's, there's a couple things I just want to point out here. Each man was given responsibility huge responsibility. Even the guy with one talent was given a huge amount, 20 years worth of labor, working, was given that all at once. So they were given responsibilities, and each one knew that they were expected to take action, right? None of them just was like, well, okay, now what? I've got all this stuff. They knew. The expectation was, there's, there's something you're going to be doing. And, and the first two guys knew that they needed to put their money to work, right? And they did. They put it to work and gained more. When the last guy, he took his talent and stuck it in the ground and hit it. His idea, I'm just going to keep it. Make sure that when the guy comes back, I have something to show what he gave me. I'm just going to hand it back to him. So let's keep reading. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So now we see that, that the master left them alone and gave them a good chunk of time to do something with it. And he settled accounts. He who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, and saying, Master, you delivered to me only five. Here, I have made five talents more. Doubled it. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The second service came in and said the same thing, right? You gave me two. I've gotten two more. I put them to work and I have two more. I've done something with what you gave me. And the last guy, he had one and he got all these excuses about why he had buried it in the ground. Oh, you're a hard man and I knew that you were going to request all, or you know, demand this of me. And the guy goes, you're, you're, the master says, you foolish and wicked servant, right? If you knew that I was going to ask for it back, why don't you just throw it in the bank so it, it would collect interest, right? And, the, and then that guy gets consequences meted out to him. The master becomes angry and he takes the money away and gives it to the man who had five. Now 10, right? The, the important, the timeless truths that I want to like take out of this, that means that when, when Jesus told that story, it meant something to the people that were listening. We're going to take that out and, and we're going to make sure that these truths from scripture that we're trying to apply to our life make the journey all the way to our context today because that's when we know we can apply these in our lives. So here's the three. There are more, but here's three principles or timeless truths that can make that travel. Number one, we have been given responsibilities. And we're going to be looking today, time, talents, treasure, right? We're going to look at those specifically. Number two, we must take action with what we are given. There's an expectation that God wants us to use those in his kingdom for his purposes, right? So we've got to figure out what that is. We need to know what God's will is for our life as it relates to all these things, all three of these things. And then the last one is we're eventually going to be accountable. There's coming a day when when God's going going to want an account for the way that we spent our time, our life, 
and our treasure and our talents, right? He's going to ask for that. We're gonna, we are accountable for how we spend our lives. So as we, as we finish up this, I want to I go through these three areas, and we're going to do them in reverse order, because as disciples of Jesus Christ now, we have to bring all of the way that we approach life, including time, talent, and treasure, we got to pass that all through the filter of Jesus is Lord, it's all his. We can't be thinking about it like it's ours because we will always be messed up and misdirected in the way that we use these resources God has given us. So let's start with treasure. Now, I, how many of you have sat through lots of sermons on stewardship and tithing and giving? Others like, oh, I'm not even going to admit it. it just, it's often, like, I've heard tons. Like, we talk about it a lot. And it is, it is extremely important. Uh, in fact, it's so important. Jesus spoke on money more than he spoke on heaven, hell, and sin combined. Like, it was a, it was a big deal. He knew this was going to be a massive uh, distraction for people trying to follow Jesus Christ, that we were going to constantly be pulled away by what the world has to offer when it comes to fun, f- fun finances and money, right? He knew that was going to be a distraction. But this, this, we, need to, we need to wrestle through with what is Jesus' heart that we see in Scripture when it comes to money? What is, the, what is the role money has and what should it have? What role should it have in our lives? So Paul, knowing the importance that Jesus placed on uh, finances, he says this in 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Remember, he doesn't need it. He's not twisting our arm. He's not like, oh, I'm running out of money. Please give me money. That's not what he's thinking. God loves a cheerful giver. It's all his. He wants us to understand more of what he, his heart is, his heart of generosity. So he wants a cheerful giver. We're not forced to give. We're compelled to give out of love for Jesus. That's huge. And then look at verse 8. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. This, is, this has been misused a lot, but look, let's go slowly real quick. God is able to bless you abundantly, the comma, so. So now here's the why, right? So that in all things, at all times, so that's our whole life, you having all that you need, not everything that you want. Oh, I need a new car, so I'm going to give so I can get a new car, right? That's not what it's all that you need. And what do we need? We need things that will help us abound in every good work, right? These are the same works that Jesus prepared in advance for you to do. These are the things that he has given you gifts and talents, abilities, time, and treasure to put to work for his purposes. So it still has to line up with what his will is for your life, right? It's not just a blank slate, whatever we want we can have. God is able to bless you abundantly so that we will abound in every good work. So we're reminded in Luke 16, uh, starting with verse 9, but I just have, I think I just have 13 up there on the screen, is that we must not be devoted to money. It just lays it out clear. You can't have or, or follow after God and money. We cannot serve both God and money. This is part of our treasure. Remember, we talked about this lordship thing. The best thing is that blank check the idea that we would slide a blank check across the table to God, completely blank, and we say, write whatever you want. And yes, he can ask for our, our finances. He could say, well, I want you to do this for missions. I want you to give up this for that, whatever. He can ask that, and our position is one of surrender before him, saying, you write whatever. But he could, he could ask for our things with our family, with our time, with our energy, with where we live, where we, everything. It's a blank check. We don't, put, we don't slide the blank check and go, but not that. And not that, right? It's all his. We lay all of our possessions and stuff at the foot of the cross. And this is, uh, this is 
of these three right now, uh, for sure the hardest one for me. Because in our head, we, we understand this theology. Like, I, I have no problem standing here and go, I believe that everything belongs to God. The problem is, is that how, how, what does it look like for that knowledge in my head to sink out of my head, into my heart, and change practically the way that I live my life? How, how do I go about my day in ways where God is glorified through the use of my finances or the use of my possessions? And I am constantly pulled away by the latest technology, the latest thing I want to buy, whatever it is. Like, I'm just, ooh, I'm excited for that. And the next thing I want to get and that thing I want to experience, right? All things, they're good, not in and of themselves, they're great, but they have a place. God is the one who gets to dictate when and how we use and spend our money. So a disciple of Jesus Christ, as we are trying to be like Jesus, we want to take on the mind and heart of Christ as it relates to our money. And not in an abstract way that goes, oh, I give you, like when I write my tithe check, here's your 10%, and now I get to live with all this 90 however I want. Yours, mine. Right? I, that's, not, that's not the picture that is ever a present in Scripture. That was not the idea of generosity that God is, is laying out in Scripture. And if you want to read and study about some radically sacrificial uh, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, just read the first few chapters of Acts and find out what they were doing with their money as they wrestled with the ideas very soon after Jesus left them. Jesus leaves, and, they, and they're wrestling with these questions. What do I do? How do I live? And they were doing some radical things with the way that they, the, the stuff they had, the property they had, the food they had, and, it, and it, it changed their whole life. Let's move on to talents. This is the second one. So what is God doing when he gives gifts of natural abilities and supernatural abilities, spiritual gifts, to his followers, disciples, the, the body of Christ, right? Those of us that make up the body of Christ. Listen to Paul in Romans 12, 4 through 8. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the, all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Like these, these are all referring to spiritual gifts. Gifts given to followers of Jesus Christ, disciples, Christians, all the same word, right? When we become saved, he gives us these gifts. So you may be sitting here and go like, I, a lot of people say, I, have, I don't have gifts. I don't have any spiritual gifts. No, what you haven't done is discovered what they are. You don't know what they are, but the Holy Spirit is in you. He's living in you right now, and he has gifted you with something. And not, not, not just so that you have it or so that you can use your gifts to you know, work at your job better or, or be a better parent or whatever. He specifically gave you your gifts to build up the body of Christ. That is the purpose of your gifts. You can read about that in Ephesians 4, uh, 4 and 5, which we don't have time to get into. But the first step is we need to know what our gifts are. So that's why I love the growth track and why I like to teach that every month because to figure out what your gifts are is a great first step. So we do that. We go through a personality uh, assessment and then a spiritual gift inventory, which is a good first step because you just, you just respond to these statements. There's like a ton of them. It takes us like seven minutes in the class to fill this whole thing out. And, and it's, it'll, it'll kind of cue you to the way that God has designed you. Some of the things that he's put as your, as your gifts, spiritual gifts specifically. And what's the difference between a spiritual gift and a natural ability? Because sometimes they overlap. This is a good definition that I heard. A spiritual gift is something that you do with the minimum amount of fatigue, but the maximum amount of effectiveness, right? 
Like, I could teach children's ministry, but it would drain me. Like, to my soul would be drained. And I did. I was actually a Sunday school teacher for years as a kid before I knew it wasn't my spiritual gift. No, I'm just kidding. But there are things, like, I, when I get up here, like, I w- I'm tired, like, a little tired because I got up early, but I am not feeling tired at all right now. Like, I could do this for quite a while, which we're almost done. Don't worry. <laughs> But something that you do with a minimum amount of fatigue, but a great amount of effectiveness, that is, that is the work of the Holy Spirit doing something through you. And there are a lot of ways to discover your spiritual gifts. And I just want to give you a couple, just like an FYI to this little section here. One of the most effective ways is asking someone who knows you well, especially if they're uh, you know, a fellow believer who has been walking with you for a while. What are the things you see in me that I'm good at? When I do things that you see I'm effective at doing, right? So that's a good one. Ask those people around you. Um, It's a good first step for any disciple. Just like, hey, what do you see God doing in me? Ways that I've been effective. Two is just to try something. Just go try it. If I walk into children's ministry and I'm literally thinking about tearing my hair out in five minutes, I can check that one off the list. Like it isn't teaching three-year-olds, you know, Bible lessons. I actually love teaching my own kids stuff, but... Not your kids. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so just try stuff and find out what God is leading you to do, right? And the other one, this spiritual gift inventory is fantastic. The, the only downside with the spiritual gift info, inventory, really, is that we have this list, and they're all built from Scripture. The ones I just read, this is one of the three major passages in the Bible that talk about spiritual gifts, teaching, encouragement, uh, leading, mercy, etc., But the Holy Spirit, these lists are not exhaustive. That's not all that the Holy Spirit has gifted us to do. And so trying out different things and finding the ways that God is blessing you and using you uniquely because of how he shaped you is probably one of the best ways to do it. So I encourage everyone to just serve, do something to build up the body of Christ and and just pray and ask God to show you where it is that you are the most effective. But here's what we can't do. We cannot be that guy who buried it in the sand or dug a hole and put it in the ground, right? Because that that is not acceptable. Our gifts and talents were given by God to build up the church. And if we do that, we are saying no to the Lord. He said, I'm giving you this gift, and I've got a purpose for you, and I need you to use it, discover it and use it, right? And then we bury it in the the sand, and we're saying no, Lord. And what do we learn? There is no way. You cannot say no, Lord. He's either Lord, and everything is yes, or he's not Lord. And then you can say no as much as you want, right? And you cannot do both. So we, if we misuse these gifts, we are essentially saying we're denying Christ's lordship in our life. So find out what God has equipped you to do and develop that gift. Work at it to get better. I mean, some of the things I do um, just recently in the last couple of years is listen to a lot of sermons. Major makes me listen to my own sermon. It's <laughs> the worst thing in the world to have to listen to what I'm saying right now this week. It's brutal. But that, that helps me go like, well, I'll never say that again like that. Thank you. No, or, but to listen to other people and go, oh, I like how they communicated that idea. That works. That connects with me. Like, that is a good word picture. So develop the gifts, the things that God has, has given you. And, and Jesus came with the same mindset. Remember, this whole thing, to be like Jesus. Listen to what he did when he came to earth. Matthew 20, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His own mindset was to be served. So ask yourself, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, am I being served? Am I living my life to be served? Or am I serving? Am I serving more than I'm being served? That's, that's a good question. The last one is, how does a disciple of Jesus view their time? And because of time, 
I'm only going to talk about one thing. There's a lot of things we could talk about when it comes to time, right? Bringing the lordship of Christ to bear on the way that I, I, my recreation and my use of my hobbies, and that we could talk a long time. And really, these conversations, they need to be, they need to be had in the context of discipleship with other people. Because that's when you can talk about the specifics of your Netflix usage, right? You can really go, I might have a problem. You know, whatever it is, like we need to be thinking about that. But I just want to, I want to zoom out even more and be like, here's what Jesus would have us do on earth. Like, you can watch Netflix, but if you want to know what you, the purpose of your life is, one of them, from Scripture, listen to this, and well, I'll start in Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, with this kind of a warning. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. And listen to 2 Corinthians 5.20, because this one, we all have the same amount of time each day. Our lives may differ in time, like the length of time, like one guy got five, one guy got two, one guy got one. We don't know how long our lives will be, but today, you and I have the exact same number of minutes to live. But listen to what Jesus said, or, or what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.20. If you want to get a big overview of what God is doing in the world, read this passage. Read all of 2 Corinthians 5. But I'm just going to hone in on verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to the world. In parentheses, I want to say that. That's what he's talking about. His appeal through us. We employ you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. And that whole passage over and over reiterates that we are being used. We have the privilege of being used by God. And you remember that picture at the very beginning there was one that said, shares the good news, right? There was a whole sermon on that. God is using us, those of us who are willing to submit to his lordship when it comes to our time and our talent and our treasure, he's using us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world and bring the good news to those who don't have it. So if, you, if you're wondering what, what big goal could I apply to my life that would help me make decisions about Netflix and would help me make decisions about hobbies and the things that I do, the work that I do and the things that I am reading and, and whatever, let that be the guide. We are Christ's ambassadors, and God is making his appeal through us. So really, there needs to be this urgency, like eternity is coming quickly uh, for all of us, right? There needs to be an urgency. There are people who are slipping out into eternity without the good news of Jesus Christ. Like that, we need to be aware of that all the time. Constantly remember, what are we doing on this planet? We are ambassadors of Christ to the world. We are on a worldwide mission of making disciples of all nations. In Acts 1, Jesus told his disciples to start right where we are. So in Acts 1.8, it says start in Jerusalem. That's literally where they were standing. Okay, so we'll start right here in our town. This is Kapolei. And then he said, you only move out into the surrounding areas. And he went all the way to Samaria. And then he says, but after that, you're not done to the ends of the earth. Right? We're, we're, he's saying that to disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, who are about to make decisions on how they spend their time, how they use their resources, and what do they do with these spiritual gifts they just discovered. Right? And he's saying, this is what you're going to do. You're going to start right here, and you're going to spread the, the image of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, ever outward into the entire world. So we've got, we got to be wrestling with these things. So as I close in prayer, Jan's going to come play the piano. Um, I have some questions, and I've done this before. I just keep falling back to this. But these are questions that came up as I'm, as I'm writing this, as I'm, look, I'm, I'm thinking through these things, challenging questions but they're good starters to us to have with, with the disciples that we're walking with. Could be your family, could be your spouse, but hopefully you've got a core group of people who know you and, and you've given permission to speak into your life because these are not easy. So let's just look at time. Am I spending my time on things that ultimately matter? 
Like if I fast forward one billion years, right? Billion years from now, we'll be in eternity. We'll be no closer to the end than when we started. Am I spending my time, my little blip before eternity, on things that ultimately matter? Or am I distracted by all kinds of crazy other stuff? Is God pleased with the way I spend my time? I, I don't know. I go through my life. I am not asking that question enough. I don't stop and ask the question, is this how God would have me spend my time or my money or my gifts? Look at the talent, what the things that God has gifted us with. Am I using the gifts God gave me to build up the body of Christ? Because it's completely possible to use those same gifts to build up the kingdom of me. So are we using them to build up the kingdom of God, the body of Christ? Have I discovered the unique way God has shaped me to serve him? Like my spiritual gifts, my heart, my abilities, my passions, my experiences. Am I aware of the way he has made me and the way that I can use those to bless the kingdom of God and to grow his kingdom? Because if you don't know, how are you going to use a gift? How are you going to develop a gift you're not even aware of? Right? So have I discovered them? And then, of course, if I know them, what can I do to develop my gifts to better serve others? What's a simple thing right now I can do that would help my gift my spiritual gift or my natural ability to help build the kingdom of God? What can I do? And the last one is just treasure. Am I living as an owner where it's mine and I get to decide and you'll be grateful if I use it for you? Or am I living as a manager where it's not mine and everything belongs to God and so it's all on the table? Am I living as an owner or a manager when it comes to my money and possessions? And then this one, like we just talked about. Am I sacrificing my money and possessions for the sake of the gospel? Or am I I sacrificing those things or using those things for the kingdom that is me, primarily? Like, what is it that is motivating your mind and your heart? It's one thing to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, and it's another for that to sink down and actually affect the way we live. Hopefully, the way we live looks different than the world. There's a good question. Does the way I look look different than the way that the culture I live in are the values that I have about my time and my money and, and the things that God has given me, do they look the same as the, the, thing, the way the world lives? Or do I look different because I follow Jesus Christ? Those are just some of the questions that like, they were the hardest for me this week. So I pray you just use these as a, as a springboard into discussions with the people that you're walking alongside, the people who know you and the people that you are, you know, try to modeling what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ in front of. It's your family, first of all, for sure. Your family's already watching everything you do, your spouse, but hopefully there's other people that you're building into as well. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for just your grace and your forgiveness. Um, multiple times reading through here, just having to stop and go, wow, I don't live this way. Like, ugh. To say it and to, to read it and to believe it, but then not to, to follow through and live it is the worst. I pray that you would just build a people here who's willing to lay it all down for you. You know, every single thing that's holding us back from trusting you fully and for saying yes to you, Jesus. I pray that you would move and mold and break our hearts so that we can become effective for you in a world that needs to know you. And they're going to see it in our lives. So, 
Oh, gosh. I thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness to us, and I pray that you keep revealing your truth and your word as we become students of your word, and as we daily die to ourselves and say only you, Jesus, is going to make the decisions today for me. Amen.